1: For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 7th. This is the 18th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Now, today we're going to be chatting with the fabulous director of house programming for the James Beard Foundation, But first, I will do my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Okay, today's tip is to have a good elevator pitch. Now, first, what is an elevator pitch? Well, It's a short summary used to quickly and simply define a person, profession, product, service, and so on. So, why is it important? Well, it's how you promote yourself or your business or your restaurant in an instant. When you meet someone, they usually ask you what you do or where you work, and you should be able to reply back with your precise elevator pitch that not only defines what you do, but sells it. And it sounds so good. So make sure you have your pitch down and your business card in hand for follow-up. And you can practice your pitch in an elevator, right? Why not? So that's my tip today. Okay, I'm thrilled to have my guest here. It is Isabella Wojcik. She is the Director of House Programming for the James Beard Foundation, a national New York City-based charitable organization that showcases the culinary arts, awards annual recognition for chefs, restaurants, and writers, which is very timely because it just happened, (laughs) (laughs) and it hands out scholarships to the next generation of aspiring food enthusiasts. In her role as Chef Wrangler, Isabella is responsible for the monumental task of organizing over 200 annual events at the historic James Beard House, a program which celebrates regional cuisine by featuring chefs, pastry chefs, and winemakers from across the United States and occasionally abroad. In her daily context, Isabella engages food professionals in a dialogue concerning trends in fine dining, food preparation and ingredients, the latest in equipment and technology, and more. Isabella writes on food occasionally and even penned an article on the value of service that is used in the Cornell University Hotel school curriculum, her alma mater. She is also a guest host on Taste Matters, wh- another one of our Heritage Radio Network programs. So, welcome! Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I know I c- there was there was more of your bio, but I'm gonna am gonna stop with that. And I'm so no, that's I'm, a lot. Thank you very is, much, Sherry. Oh, Thanks you're for welcome me on your show. It's really nice to be a guest here. Well, I, I mean, it's I remember before I did my show, listening to you as as. A host and your voice was so smoothing (laughs) so smooth and just relaxing I don't know I loved I loved listening to you thank you you're welcome so um well one part of your bio that I didn't read that I wanted to touch on was that before James Beard you were the marketing director for Hudson Valley Foie Gras yes that's true and I didn't I don't know if I knew that
3: surprise Surprise. (laughs) so but I can pick up from the story um after we get into sort of how I got into food, and, and Hudson Valley plays very much a part in my trip to the Beard House myself. So we can start however well, you want.
2: Well, let's start with that. I mean, tell me tell me your background and how you did come sure.
3: to it. So I was born in Poland and I came when I was eight years old uh, to Long Island area, Uh, moved with my mom, met up with my dad. So actually the first time I ever met my dad was at the airport when I was eight. Uh, And it was a whole bureaucratic nightmare um, leaving the country. And that's how I ended up, you know, coming here at eight. And so um, as immigrants from Poland and as people seeking a better life, I mean, certainly I was given the opportunity to be a doctor, a lawyer by my parents. So I've come to this land uh, to, you know, eventually one day fulfill their dream. I think, and um, was always interested in food. I mean, the way that I grew up uh, on the outskirts of a, of a third largest city in Poland was we had a huge house kind of rambling with lots of relatives, a big fruit orchard, a vegetable garden, we had ducks and chickens growing up and uh, a separate field when I was really little that I remember, you know, picking potatoes and other kind of um, crops like that. So I grew up uh, not having a sense of any other food other than what we grew, what we made, um, which was still very much a Polish cuisine, but I think you know when I think back on the kinds of flavors that bring me home or that make me think about uh, stories or about food, or I think uh, you know what I'm always chasing is taste and flavor and thinking about um, those elements in the dining experience, and it's because I grew up on things like you know black and red currants and gooseberries and fresh plums off the tree. And sounds uh, like an you know, amazing childhood. I mean, it was kind of you know the farm yeah. to table <laughs> concept, <laughs> um, and so I had some few key jobs in high school, but one that was really uh, the most impressive, the one that kind of changed the course of my history was, you know, I met my best friend and her father owned a jazz club and a restaurant on Long Island. And she'd invited all of her friends to work there. They lasted one shift. uh, And that was it for them. And I was and and she invited me to be a bus girl. And I, you know, stayed two years and I fell in love with that idea Mm -hmm. um, of a restaurant, the noise, the kind of the hum, the engine. Um, So I've been pursuing that dream of opening a restaurant. Um, by going to Cornell Hotel School, studying management, kind of pursuing a a more academic uh, business career, still keeping an eye on one day maybe having my own restaurant. And through all the experiences, um, you know, now it's been two decades in New York City of uh, staging in kitchens, working um, sort of entry-level line cook positions, stations, uh, working front of house as a waitress, as a waiter, as a manager, uh, and then ultimately, you know, director of marketing for Hudson Valley Fograt, which was an all Kind of small company, big, um, big reputation, and you you ended up doing lots of different things. Um, all of that time was sort of gathering experiences to one day open my restaurant. And then one day I realized I'd be crazy knowing what I know to open
2: a <laughs> restaurant in New York City. Uh, I'd rather just be a regular in one. It's so funny you said so. <laughs> that because as you were as you were talking, I was I was thinking I wanted to ask you if you still wanted to open a restaurant because people. It's it's funny my background is there's some similarities in the fact that I, I've worked in restaurants in almost every position and I kind of then fell into PR and then it makes sense now working with restaurants and having all that crazy experience. So that sounds similar but people ask me all the time if I want to have my own restaurant and I pretty much... I. I at this point, no, because, yeah, I, I know a lot. <laughs> well, so here's, here's my feeling but, on But not that to discourage anyone.
3: <laughs> you sort of have to really uh, need it and want it. And you kind of know when, when you want it and need it. Mm-hmm. And it's a thing you have to do next. It doesn't matter what the risks are or what the advice is. So right. my feeling is um, I definitely don't want to open something in New York City, and I don't have plans to leave New York. So I'm kind of leaving it open uh, to fate and the universe that if one day I found myself somewhere else – um, maybe. Uh, but the thing I imagine myself having anywhere in the world is sort of a breakfast lunch kind of place, you know, really early morning uh, to early afternoon, and that's about it. Kind of a community table of sorts.
2: I thought about this recently. There really
3: aren't breakfast restaurants. Well, it's funny that you mention that because I have a breakfast club that celebrated 10 years of breakfast. Uh, So my Breakfast Club members are myself uh, and two former roommates. One is our Executive Vice President Mitchell Davis for the James Rear Foundation, and the other is a mutual friend who works for the Keith Haring Foundation in the arts. But we all went to college together. We all met. We were roommates at a time. And then when Matt left, there was this hole, you know, we used to have breakfast together. And so we kind of dreamed up this idea of meeting once a week on Wednesday mornings, you know, 830 to 930, catching up and having breakfast. So that's Started ten years ago. Wow, that's so. Amazing. Through that process, we've been exploring breakfast in New York City. So, um, you know, we have a few standbys, and there was a time when I was a young mom uh, and couldn't really be on time. So we were, you know, at the closest place to the nursery school, for instance. So we stayed there for a while. But we've had this really fun decade of, of eating breakfast in New York City. Then you, then you,
2: yeah, no, that's, that's great. So you, you went to school with Mitchell. I did. I didn't know that. No, that's
3: where we met. I was knitting and he was taking notes and I was knitting a scarf because it was really freezing cold and I didn't bring one.
2: <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Do you, I When I moved to New York, I, I was in NYU's food studies program and Mitchell taught one of my classes. That's right. That's how I met him. <laughs> I know. All roads lead to Mitchell. I know, they really do, right? <laughs> okay, so but, great. So, so, so
3: the Beard House. The Beard House uh, is somewhere where... Um, I started working there at different jobs, like volunteering in the kitchen, helping chefs when they were cooking and, and didn't have the staff. I worked in our part-time um, publications office doing sort of photo editing. When, uh, when did to, you start there? So this Sorry. was in the 90s. Uh, okay. I would say mid-90s. Oh, okay. And there's a reference library at the Beard House on the fourth floor. I worked there part-time kind of typing and, and labeling the Dewey Decimal System on the on the book <laughs> Um So I was always kind of around. And that story of people who fall into the foundation's kind of family uh, is very typical, all the while having all those jobs, like staging at um, Chanterelle downtown or being the back-of-house manager at Zoe in Soho um, or a waiter at the uh, Macchioni's family second restaurant, Osteria del Circo, for example, always kind of yeah. still at the Beard House a little bit. So, it's an incredible um, experience to, to kind of. Uh, and I had a short-lived business with Mitchell and Matt and another partner. It's called Foodstuffs, and it was ahead of its time. It was a mail-order catalog company of sort of food-themed gift items. And we really this was before the internet, so we just didn't have enough capital to keep that going. But Michael Ginnor. Uh, is somebody who is a founder of Hudson Valley Foie Gras Mm -hmm. co-owner. Mitchell already had known him through an article he published in Art Culinaire profiling the company. Um, So we brought him in as an investor, and I looked to his guidance for kind of what's my next career move. I don't really want to be in restaurants, in operations. And he hired me. And so that's how I found my way to Hudson Valley Foie Gras and then did a lot of work putting together benefit dinners for different organizations, including the James Beard Foundation. So I kind of was back in and had my foot in the door doing some big kind of splashy events with super famous chefs. Um, and then eventually, Mildred and Mika, who was my mentor and the original mm-hmm. program director at the Beard House, kind of tapped me. She already knew me, and I seemed to be the right person at the right time with the right credentials for doing the job that I do. So that was 12 years ago. Well, I would
2: say so. You're Phew. definitely the right person. <laughs> Wow, but no it 's great to learn your background because so that 's my background, but um, yeah so yeah. now, so now, with the James beard house, well tell me more about your role and and also what 's changed over the years so i mean I have the best food job in the world. Um, I mean, there are
3: many of them out there and and people aren't giving them up, you know but it's a pretty (laughs) good one Um, So the foundation is this big overall foundation and certainly we just had the James Beard Awards uh, book broadcast journalism Friday, uh, the big chef restaurant awards Monday, and so that's the big kind of national name that gets put out there around this time and certainly with food media it doesn't hurt that there are so many James Beard Award winners, you know, on TV in the press, Uh, and that's one big component, the scholarships, culinary education education for the next generation is a very big component as well and we've been doing lots of fundraising events around the country under the Friends of Change Your Benefit kind of moniker uh, celebrity chef tour moniker so that's education and that's we've raised close to um, a little over 4.6 million dollars in the last two decades um, There's, awesome. we'll talk about food systems because we're doing food conferences chef boot camps for, for policy and change helping chefs become activists uh, so there's a Another big piece that we're working on, but the Beard House is really where chefs come to tell their stories. So we have over 200 events a year. And what those mean, primarily are dinners where anyone can come and dine. So it's like a, a restaurant for one night, you know, a dining club, a pop up, however you want to look at it, but basically, someone is cooking. Uh, their food, whether it's one single chef focusing on his or her restaurant, whether it's a group. Uh, So tonight, for example, on May 7th is Chef Mario Pagan. He's come from Puerto Rico. He has a restaurant called Laurel at the Art Museum, and he's really bringing some of these flavors that are very typical uh, in Puerto Rico, but then marrying them with these great, you know, French techniques and, and foods that we like to eat in New York. So that's tonight's story. But every night, there's something a
2: little different happening. So that's that's the beard house. Well, it's incredible. And having been there and having had chefs that I work with there and experiencing it, I am always impressed with your staff and with just the whole execution. Every it's the kitchen is is tiny, as as you know, and what it's like magic that comes out of it. (laughs) And every night's different. It's really it's it's an amazing place. No, thank you. Yeah. So the staff are full
3: time employees. I mean, when you when you look at the wait staff, the maitre d's, the the dishwashers, the kitchen managers, these are all full time employees, and they've been there for a really long time. They have it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's plus, you know, it's it's. I, I think also the magic comes from the fact that it's in James Beard's home. So James Beard was this guy who wrote a lot of cookbooks. I mean, over twenty five, and they've been republished, repurposed some of them, but was a mentor and taught a lot about food, uh, primarily about. Kind of you know eating, uh, the ingredients in their prime where they came from. I mean, he was raised by a ma- a very wonderful cook who ran a boarding house in Portland, Oregon. So he came from the Pacific Northwest. He was pursuing arts, uh, and and the sort of stage acting, singing, performing never worked out. And the fallback was cooking, which is what he knew. Um, but he left behind this this incredible historic house, which is such a fun place to have dinner, to think about, you know, all these different chefs coming with all their different techniques and all their different cuisines, and, and having it set in this historic home, but it's really not a museum. So it gets loud and boisterous, and people are seated communally, or are making new friends at the table. The whole point is
2: uh, to really share that experience and, and learn through eating and drinking. Yeah, it's wonderful, and it is fun. Uh, so... We're going to take a quick break okay. here, <laughs> and uh, but stay with us. We'll be right back with All in the in- Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Hi, welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Isabella Wojcik of the James Beard Foundation. So, Isabella, so so, what has changed over the years? Well, I mean, I what about the kitchen cam? Ooh. Uh-huh. that's the
3: latest development we're I'm so excited um, so w-
2: I've been watching
3: have you? I feel it's very, it's funny it's unedited, it live streams and it's very compelling in some ways um, it is. so we're, it's new it's brand new, it started at the end of March we kicked it off with Daniel Balou's dinner we found, mm-hmm. you know, a great chef and a great story and we kind of aimed for that date, so essentially there are three very small hidden cameras uh, very, you know, unobtrusive in the kitchen and they capture three different angles, and the point is just to take a sneak peek into the kitchen and see what's going on at the Beard House. So it gets turned off. I mean, the chefs certainly have the option of opting out, uh, and I think most won't. Um, because they're not obtrusive, they're not really in your face. But essentially, uh, they tell that story of what it takes you know, mm-hmm. to to put out a dinner. The experience at the Beard House for diners is you do walk through the kitchen, so you're seeing the chefs in action during the hors d'oeuvre reception, you are meeting them, there's an element of, ooh, this is the kitchen, these are the plates, this is what it's going to be like. But, but for people who can't be there, uh, even for diners who aren't in the kitchen, they're in the dining room, um, to see what it takes to to put food in that kitchen on the on the table on the plate and to do it so creatively and so quickly, uh, it's eye opening. So it's kind of a fun fun, fun you know thing. And it it's on our website. I mean, I've, it's funny people have been asking if there's a charge for it. Or if you have to be a member, and it's like, no, just go to Jameser.org, find the Kitchen Cam, you know, widget, and just
2: just turn off your TV and just go yeah. there and watch that for a couple <laughs> hours. It's very entertaining. It's also archived. you can kind of go back, and mm-hmm. if there's a chef you're curious about, right? That's
3: great. So that's that's new. I mean, certainly we're given that it's a historic house dating to. Back to the 1840s, uh, it's hard to make incredibly big changes. Uh, plus, as a non for profit foundation, you know we don't have deep pocket endowments, grants, things like that. So, we're very mindful of sort of the kinds of programs that we want to do and how we how we can spend you know our funds and our and and it's so for now. Uh, until something magical happens one day, you know, and I'm not foreshadowing anything. Um, the house is really this place. Um, and so the, the, You know, we've upgraded things like the draperies and carpets. We're always revisiting tabletop. And are these the best plates? Is this the best glassware? Um, But we don't have too much freedom to to do something wildly different. But the kitchen cam is certainly, you know, that and a sous vide machine, I think, are (laughs) latest developments. Um, Those are great. So in, in my role as programming these events... Uh, you know, seeing the menus, we publish the menus ahead of time. I mean, one of the things that that I always um, I'm so fascinated by is how, over time, when I think just back on the 12 years I've been there, but it's been going on since 1986. Um, just how menus have changed and the evolution of how chefs write a menu, how they compose a menu, uh, what the trends are in ingredients. Um, you know, so when I start to, you know, in the 80s, it was all tuna tartare, it was creme brulee. Uh, and in the 90s, you know, so I've been seeing things like, you know, snails were popping up a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, or squid and, uh, you know, charred octopus, octopus, octopus is like in the ingredient. Menu. Or uni, sea urchin, for mm-hmm. example, is popping up in custards and pastas and yeah. things like that. It's
2: kind of fun to see that. Yeah, no, that that's d- definitely chefs and menus and styles have changed, I'm sure. Yeah, you've been there a while. Yeah. So you, <laughs> yeah, you know, you've seen a lot. So so how do you select your your chefs?
3: So the process, uh, I mean, it's an, it's an ongoing kind of relationship building. I mean, I know... For, you know, PR purposes, it's all about relationships. And this is very much, you know, no different. There's an opportunity to cook at the Beard House Kitchen in New York City. Uh, And lots and lots of chefs would love that opportunity. Um, So the way that I think about it, the criteria that I use is simply to, um, you know, look at a chef's biography, look at where they're currently working. Is it a restaurant? Is it a hotel? Is it a cooking school? Sort of what's their business affiliation? I consider if there's any press, just to have a sense of how it might be positioned in the community how is it described by critics and reviewers um, but but also keeping you know in mind that it's one opinion and uh, the role of the beard house is not really to showcase chefs critically it's not a restaurant criticism it's really you know can they travel across the country or down the block as the case might be can they cook a meal for up to 80 people in five courses um, so it's a very different consideration I there's an you know there's an element of trust trust. Uh, There's an element of, you know, um, assuming that they can, uh, you know, prepare and organize themselves and and kind of understand the, you know, what it takes to cook a dinner and and feed 80 people. Um, So I consider reviews and mentions, but it's not the only deciding factor. And then I ask chefs to put together a proposed menu, a a theme, um, kind of what, you know, what's the story they want to tell. And then I think about balancing the calendar so that there's different regions represented, different styles of restaurants, different chefs, different cuisines, so that there's nice diversity for the diners
2: who are coming. A lot of things come into play. Yes, yes, no. That's
3: thank you for I mean I like to give everyone, you know consideration Um, I'm wary of people that are looking to simply as a promotion you know I want to sell my hotel I want to promote my city I want to do I want to make sure that it's a gracious dinner because not everyone is interested Uh, in the same kinds of things everyone you know diners come with their own agenda so for diners some are members of the foundation and anyone can join and they're just there to support us some are really into a specific food or a kind of food a specific chef a specific uh, beverage program so everyone kind of comes with different uh, desires you know different expectations we have lots of diners who love to entertain at the beard house because it is a set menu it's a set price and you kind of know what to expect Um, and it's one seating, so we don't kick you out. You know, after we don't need your table back. um right. So, so I have to kind of be mindful of trying to please everybody and still give chefs an opportunity to really say something unique.
2: Yeah. Well, the last time I went, I actually I, on the show I do a solo dining experience. Mm-hmm. I talked about because I went solo, and at my table it was it was a few people that were tied to the industry. Um, associated with the restaurant. And then it was, some, it was people who worked in finance who brought their clients mm-hmm. as a treat for a nice dinner. So I know that that is common. So over, is there a, sh- like, this is, gonna, this is, I know, a tough question, but what's a memorable chef or a chef that, you know, one of your favorites or something that sticks out? So, <laughs> <laughs> I You're know, right? right? <laughs> like, it's like <laughs> 200 dinners times 12 years <laughs> equals... <laughs> something, I mean, even something recent, maybe that you were just like really happy with.
3: Well, so here's, I mean, I can get into more specifics. Generally speaking, what's interesting is um, it's not always true that the most famous chef, the one who's cooked everywhere, is very accomplished, very notable. Um, prepares the best dinner. I find that um, often chefs that are of a certain caliber who have a lot of demands and expectations who participate in a lot of things might be stretched a little thin um, you know they generally treat the beard house as just one of many commitments and functions and those dinners can be lovely and wonderful and you get to meet the chef but I find that the chefs that have never cooked there the chefs who have maybe cooked once but a long time ago with a different restaurant um, they have so much to prove and Mm -hmm. they uh, treat it, you know, as sort of a pilgrimage to New York. And they, and they feel as if they're cooking for the most, you know, venerable audience, the most sort of sophisticated, um, you know, experienced kind of di- diner. And so they're the ones who often will um, just surprise you with how incredible the food is. So having said that, um, I mean, there are so many chefs, you know, one of my favorite things happened, Uh, this past March, we announced our nominees. So the process for the award starts with in February with a big list of about 20 semi finalists for every category, there's regional chefs, there's national chefs, pastry chefs, and so forth. And then in March, we whittle that list down to nominees. And in the week that I was announcing our nominees, we had a bunch of them cooking at the Beard House, kind of back to back. So that was a really fun experience. And one was um, kind of West Coast, East Coast. It was Jen Lewis who has a restaurant with her husband in Portland, Oregon, called Lincoln, plus a couple of other businesses. Right. Yeah, I know. And Jamie Bissonette, who is both in Boston and here in New York City, with Toro and Copa in Boston, um, and they—they, they, I mean, they collaborated. They had a great experience. It was such a delicious meal. And then it's like you know they they uh, he was a nominee and, and then he won, he won. yeah <laughs> that was exciting it was Ashley exciting. Christensen was uh, at the Beard House a few months ago. And it was such a fun... I hope I hope it was a few months ago. Everything feels like a few yeah. months ago, but it might have been last year even. And she's a, a winner also from Raleigh. But she was... Um, you know, she is this fabulous cook. You know, she's a Southern girl. She's tough as nails. She had this great meal. And she brought Julian Van Winkle, who is uh, sort of the man behind. And his family has Pappy Van Winkle bourbon, which you can't get your hands on. And he's sitting in the dining room. And he's brought a bottle of bourbon. And then I look in the corner. And there's Sean Brock, who's a wow. very famous mm-hmm. southern chef from Charleston and has a place in Nashville, Husk. I went to know, Husk. And, um, yeah. and he's sitting there. And it's like, where'd you come from? It's like, oh, I missed my flight. And I heard Ashley was cooking. So sometimes it's you, you oh, great. just inadvertently. Mm-hmm. tap into that kind of network that chefs are a part of diners don't necessarily get to experience all the time that camaraderie that shared experience so that was kind of a fun that's a thing. great example you I know. met
2: Ashley at the cherry bomb um, mm-hmm. jubilee I went to recently I was very excited that she won so yeah
3: yeah it was a big to be honest it was thrilling it was a big night for uh, women chefs there's quite a number of women chefs that won awards this year. It feels a little unprecedented, um and certainly a few chefs from New Orleans as well, yeah, but it was very gratifying, you know I mean we've all been talking about the Time magazine cover, the sort of idea that these um gods of the kitchen are all men, uh and women aren't just just aren't in the at that level, you know, and it was very gratifying to see uh the awards results it
2: was, yeah, I have that for um I want to talk about that a little more. We'll do restaurant industry news and we'll talk about that because it was, it was a very good year for women and, um, yeah, no, it was,
3: but so I just mentioned
2: some recent chefs,
3: but I mean, if you think about, you know, who's cooked there, Thomas Keller, Daniel Ballou, you know, everyone, Jean-Louis Paladin, who's Mm -hmm. no longer with us. I mean, and it's fun to think about they were so young. I mean, you know, it's, it's so interesting.
2: Yeah, it's like going to Degustibus <laughs> and seeing the old photos exactly. on the wall. They've been around for a while, and they're amazing. Well, and
3: then Daniel Ballou. So Daniel Ballou was at the Beard House in March, and certainly um, that was one of his many dinners at the Beard House, and then many of his cooks and chefs have had their own meals and, and their yeah. own dinner. Yeah, so um he's incredible. Um, and he's incredibly generous, and he's incredibly dynamic, and
2: really and, and fun. And entertaining.
3: And entertaining. and seems to get <laughs> younger every year. I don't know what
2: his secret is. He doesn't need um, sleep. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of chefs. I think a lot of chefs don't require sleep, it seems. And they just have, yeah, they just have the energy. I I don't know how they do it, but they they do. Clearly, he has a good team that also makes it possible, you know. Yeah, no, he's amazing. They're all, I mean, yeah, we could talk about, we could keep going on and on. Um, Before we take a break, let's let's go to my question Mm -hmm. uh, from, so last week I had on, the co-founders of Tokla Society for Women in Food and Hospitality, which is Su Chan and Alex Pomolier. Mm-hmm. And I asked them to ask you a question. Oh, oh, no, I, that's, yeah. So wait, I'm getting so confused. Yeah, they, so they wanted to know what advice you have for Tokla Society. Well, <laughs> it's a big question.
3: Um, I'm a big fan of Tokla Society. Actually, I joined recently, uh, I know Sue Chan is one of the co-founders, and I've worked with her. Um, she's the brand manager for Momofuku, and we've done lots of great dinners with David Chang, some of his chefs. Um, so I, uh, I am hoping to host something with Toka Society at the Beard House. It's only fitting to kind of have that as an opportunity.
2: Um, and, and they said you welcome them to sue sue came for a dinner
3: yes so we had a a, we had a nice shared meal uh recently at the beard house it was actually chef kathy Wims, who's a nominee from portland oregon has a restaurant called nostrana so um i would say there is such a demand and there's such a need uh for networking in this business for sharing ideas sharing information uh experiences that any opportunity to to kind of come together is really welcome but when you factor in kind of the women's perspective and some of the challenges uh, because i think the restaurant business is tough enough as it is and i find that it's still very much a sexist place in some ways or in some perceptions and so if you take the focus of women's needs and kind of what are some of the challenges and opportunities um, I think there's a national need, so I would love if they can figure out a way to kind of create you know a representative in in every city and have someone who can add to the conversation by having these opportunities i mean I think um you know if they create these so far they've had these wonderful gatherings and they're intimate and and there's a great uh function in that. I think it could be very effective if it's intimate, but yeah. then that means you know these wonderful people are a little left out because of space limitations. So I think right. the more we can do like that and have it in different cities, I think the better.
2: Yeah, we talked about that. Um, the question I had had from them, for them, for my previous guest was about if they were thinking of expanding. And they said, yes, they were. Um, but I think they're still trying to get more established right. in New York before that point. But I think that is a goal of theirs, which is great. And they'll need funding. <laughs> and a <laughs> yeah, staff, I, right? <laughs> I think they're figuring all that, too. Because I know... I know organizations like this because I've been involved in many of them and it's all volunteer based Mm -hmm. and... It's hard when you're just requiring just volunteers to do everything, um, even if you're I passionate. I think um, there, if they could have a call maybe
3: for mentors, because I found you know, in my own experiences that mentorship um, is really important and it can change the course of your life and it could build confidence and uh, guide you in ways that maybe just kind of being part of a bigger organization or, or going to an event may not. So if there's a way to kind of – Um, think about a mentorship program where all these incredible people are in a position maybe to help someone else or guide someone else. Maybe that's one-on-one.
0: Great. (laughs) That's
2: that's very good advice. I I hope they are pleased. I'm pleased. Okay, so we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back and we're going to do my speed round and we'll talk some more industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Isabella Wojcik. And now it's time for my speed round game. Okay, I'm ready. You ready? Okay. So I'm just going to name. <laughs> I don't two- even know what that means, but well, I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I'm going to name two things uh, in <laughs> mm-hmm. either or. Okay. And you just pick your favorite. Gotcha. Like briefs or boxers, like that kind of thing. Exactly. I love that example. I usually (laughs) say chocolate or vanilla, but I might switch from now on. Okay, so here we go. Eat in or eat out? Both. (laughs) Sorry. No worries. (laughs) That wasn't an option, was it? Yes, yes, that's an option. That's an (laughs) option. We're going to take it. I mean, we can get in a conversation, but we'll, we'll just take it for now. Okay, wine, beer, or cocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. You can't stand small plates. Large plates. <laughs> <laughs> I love this game. It's great. Tipping all right, okay. Tipping or all inclusive charge? Tipping. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Avery Fisher Hall or David H. Koch Theater. Ooh. I know. People don't know what I'm talking about this year, the James Beard Awards. Um, switched venues at Lincoln Center to the Koch Theater. Right. We just walked across the, yeah, I the know. fountain to the other I side. I know. It was a big I'm going to say different. Avery Fisher Hall. All right. I, would, I think I would go with that, too. But it was very lovely this Thank year. I'm not, I'm not dissing <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, here. How about this one? Chefs and Champagne or Sunday Supper at Chelsea Market? Chefs and Champagne. Definitely. Nice. <laughs> Both Shelly Minaj events that exactly. she works on. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Last one. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Woo! You are good. <laughs> Everyone always gets stuck and it turns into this long conversation. But no, but that's not the point, right? The point Speed is round. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah. No,
3: great. So here's my here's my question about this is um, this is like a small irritant that I still don't understand the idea of small plates being shareable like to me I've you just get, never I've never gotten that concept. I get small plates, I get lots of little plates and you get to taste lots of things and I love that idea. But like why should I share my even smaller plate with someone? I want a big plate and then I can share it. So I've always been uh, perplexed by this concept, this kind of development. Just my two cents. It's a very
2: good point. <laughs> well, you're right because when you share a small plate, you get two bites, possibly three. I guess it gives you variety if you're going to share a lot. But if you share large plates, you're going to get more. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're chef. Talking. I hope all the chefs out there are listening. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to the James Beard Awards and talk about that a little mm-hmm. more. With, Now, we were talking about there were a lot of women winners. Um, I mean, some of the big names were... For Outstanding Tour, we had Barbara Lynch. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Nancy Silverton, one Outstanding Chef. And Best Chef in New York was April Bloomfield. Exactly. So it was, um, yeah, it was a lot of women. And then also there was Naomi uh, Pomeroy from uh, Portland, who won Best Chef in Northwest. And as we said, Ashley, who won uh, Southeast. Um, and there's uh, a tie for Sue Zemanik right at New Orleans for Best Chef South. Okay, so or here... Or rising, rising Star. So... No. Sorry, I no, just got that Sue, wrong. <laughs> Sue and, <laughs> and Ryan Pruitt from Pesh Seafood Grill, right? Yes. Front one tie. Now, how do these ties happen? Why isn't there an odd number? <laughs> you know, I'm glad you're asking. And um,
3: so I will just go on the record. I mean, the James Beard Foundation staff has no input or impact or influence Uh, on the awards process. So it is very much governed by the foundation, but there is an awards body and awards committee and subcommittees. Uh, So nothing really ever happens at the Beard House. And we find out, you know, the nominees or the semifinalists when the press release goes out and the, and the press starts talking about it. And same with the awards. You know, I was, I was listening backstage, kind of waiting for the, and the winner is, you know, comment. So um, what really, and, 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 Ties have happened from time to time, but it's it's unusual. I remember, a, and a this year there two. were two. Yeah, um, and uh, and I'm hoping. I mean, I don't have any influence anywhere, but I'm hoping that does change because I do feel like it diminishes sort of the value of uh, of what the what the award represents. If you're the best chef anywhere like why should there be two people i mean then there could be many people i mean there are many deserving chefs Um, but the process is that anyone can put forth their name for consideration and that happens in the fall so in mid october to the end uh there's this kind of you know come one come all put forth your name for consideration and then that that list gets whittled down to uh you know kind of a working list of about 20 names so there's awards uh different committees represent different types of awards. I mean journalism, book, broadcast media, all those are different from chefs and restaurants and restaurant design, restaurant graphics.
2: Right? Well, the good thing with a tie is you know, you get two two people right. have <laughs> oh, like you know, you get an award two people which you know, these categories are generous. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. it's very hard. I mean, I I'm I I had a lovely time. I always mm-hmm. enjoy going and and but when, you know, they go they're announcing every award and they name the five and I sit there and I like try and pick it in my head and it's very hard it is because hard. it's like they're all deserving absolutely and at this point in, in a chef's career in
3: a restaurant's life when you get to the Beard Awards when you get to lots of different listings like that I mean uh, they're all very deserving, you know they all qualify, they all have uh merit, they all have something wonderful um that should be celebrated so it's it's a little dis- you know it's a little heartbreaking that you know some lose and right. some, uh, some some win
2: yeah were there were there any major surprises or major i don't know anything you were <sighs> I think
3: I mean to be honest overall I think I was just surprised by the number of women Mm -hmm. uh, winners Um, and I think mostly because it rarely happens you know in in one award category or one award show so that was a very pleasant surprise Um, and I also would like to think that it's not really a reaction to kind of recent comments about women role of women in kitchens why aren't women more famous why isn't there more press around women I really would like to think that the awards stand apart from that and the consideration for these chefs uh, was given based on really you know their work and the restaurants. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's just a, it's it's you know. But from from both our awards show, from the recent cherry um, cherry bomb jubilee kind mm-hmm. of gathering, uh, from some of the ra- reactions uh, from chefs, I f- I feel. I mean, I feel there's a momentum um, of change uh, coming. It feels very much like this is the year where we're going to really talk about uh women chefs chefs of color uh just different kinds of people you know yeah.
2: no very true and i was i was thinking it's it's almost a little ironic so th- i mean a a man won the best pastry chef <laughs> Dominic Anzal, which he he greatly right. deserved i mean the Mr. Cronut and do you know he was on Saturday Saturday night live this last week oh no i missed that i was watching weekend <laughs> update and they announced his new wafagato in the news i'm like okay this man is on fire but no typically you know pastry chefs have been more known to be women is mm-hmm. the only reason i said that but um right yeah, no, a twist yeah i know so but it was a, it was it was an amazing evening, um, and yeah, congratulations! This is really, really wonderful. So, yeah, we're we're starting to wrap up, uh, or, or you know, run out a little time. So, we're going to take a break, and um, we're going to come back and do my solo dining experience. Okay, okay so stay with us. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so this week, so I, I recently was down in Soho, and I had some meetings down there, and I was going to grab a bite to eat before heading home, and, you know, I don't know if people out there use Foursquare, but I use Foursquare. It's this app where you can check in restaurants and get tips, And I also started using it, I save restaurants that I want to go to on a list. And it's very useful because what I did was I took out, I went into Foursquare and I looked at the map. And the map then points out the restaurants I've saved that I want to go to. So it's a very easy way to kind of reference a list. And so I looked in Soho and there was Navy, which is a new restaurant uh, that opened, uh, it's on Sullivan Street and it's, it's cute, it's a little intimate spot. And uh, so that 's where I ended up going, and I knew the chef there it's a uh, Camille Bassera. she used to be the chef owner of Paloma restaurant in greenpoint and which which closed a few years ago, and she was also on top chef season three. Um, she's been doing pop ups and helping out other chefs for a while, but so this is the first time she 's back in the kitchen uh, as an executive chef and um, fortunately unfortunately, the night I was there, she wasn't there. But um, I went in. I sat at the bar. The menu is more seafood and vegetable based. The, uh, they work with a, a local farm with uh, bringing in produce, and so I was scanning the menu. I was I thought it was happy hour. <laughs> I was looking I was looking for the oyster special, but there wasn't one. So, anyways, I asked the bartender to help me out on what he recommended, and he liked the mussel toast. I'd, I'd never seen mussel toast on a menu. Um, they also had avocado toast, which has become very popular. But I know I can make avocado toast at home. <laughs> mussel toast, not so. I could, but n- not not an everyday thing, I don't think. So that's what I got. And I also got the black bass crudo, which I love crudo. And um, both of them were, were excellent. Uh, my only issue was... I left there. I mean, that's all I had. I was looking just for a light meal, and it was a light meal, but it, it was pricey. I spent $40 with tax and tip on those two dishes, and it wasn't overly filling, but they were both excellent. So um, that's the only thing. It's a, a bit expensive, but I liked it, and um, I would definitely go back, and I hope to go back when Camille is there. And um, yeah, if you want to check it out, it's, their website is navynyc.com. So, that is my experience this week. Now, we're getting to the end. So (laughs) I know, I know.
3: I was just going to comment, you know, the real estate pricing in New York is such that I I can't imagine a chef having a restaurant that is reasonably priced. I don't know how you do it, other than, you know, volume. Right. Um, So, it's just a a sad state of affairs, I think.
2: And I have to say, crudo, sashimi, I mean, it's normally... It's, it's right. You want it's, a pricey fish. You do. <laughs> if you, You're going to eat it raw. <laughs> you want good quality, and it's not. It's not a dish to get if you're looking to fill up. It's mm-hmm. and it was. It was wonderful. I and and beautifully presented. I mean, she's an amazing chef. Um, it was just kind of like I walked out of there and I was like, wow. Well, that wasn't. That wasn't a. It was a quick but not cheap bite. Right. So. <laughs> um, so I wanted to see so next week I have on Josh Wesson mm-hmm. he is the founder of Josh Wesson Wine and Food and he's also the founder of Best Sellers um, which he sold years ago but he's he's, he's amazing I know we're going to have a really fun show and uh, so Isabella I want to see if you could ask him a question sure of course I love him actually we, we don't know each other well but
3: uh, when I was getting married in 2002 I used Best Sellers for my wine choices for my nice. wedding nice I thought it would be interesting and well-priced and, uh, you know, just interesting finds that I wouldn't necessarily be able to pick on my own. Anyway, having said that, that's um, great. I guess sort of I'd, I'd love to know, you know, what uh, what does he like to drink?
2: I'm going to say everything.
3: Uh, and maybe what is he you know, what does he think of the kind of terroir of wines these days there's lots of really small producers and and um just just what does he think of the wine business in general and the direction it's headed in
2: great questions i will ask him all right thank you and it's just so funny how yeah we're all connected and i didn't know (laughs) i didn't know that you know small world
3: very small sherry i can't thank you enough for having me on your show i congratulate you. you on your show uh, I'm a listener, and I love Heritage Radio Network. But just thank you
2: very much for having and giving me this opportunity. Well, thank you so much. I wish we could talk some more. Oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm honored you came out here, and it was, it's been a lovely week. I've seen you at least, I think, three times. No, absolutely between the after parties and the parties, and now the radio. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. So, people listening, if You want to find Isabella. She is, she's on Twitter at JBF Isabella and the Beard Foundation is at Beard Foundation. Um, Her full name is Isabella Wojcik and she is the director of house programming for the James Beard Foundation. You can find me at All Industry, at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR and at com. You can also find us archived, if you miss any of these episodes, we're at heritageradionetwork.org. We're also on Stitcher and iTunes. So thanks to Jack, my engineer, and to all of you out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will be back next week with my guest, Josh Wesson. This is Sherry Bayer, and um, I hope you have a great week. Till then, bye.